Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee faithfully served the Lord for more than seven decades, co-laboring with Watchman Nee in China in the first half of the 20th century, before continuing his ministry in Taiwan, later in America, and eventually over the entire earth. He spoke these weekly Life Study messages before thousands of people, and much of his speaking has been published as over 400 titles. These life studies are perhaps his most significant work, taking 21 years for him to complete, and we're happy today to be able to bring you selected portions from those messages. If you'd like to find out more about his ministry, about the life studies themselves, and Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. Now let's join today's program. The day of Pentecost, chronicled in Acts chapter 2, has held a fascination for believers since the first century. So many significant items in the history of the church are traced to that period of time. Today, we examine one of the most difficult of those items, the manifestation of the gift of tongues. Stay with us for this insightful unveiling of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. And joining us today for this very critical life study is Ron Kangas. Ron, you've been away for some time, and we want to welcome you back to Life Study of the Bible. We've missed you. It was a good time ministering to the saints, but I'm happy to be back to fellowship this matter with you. Ron, since you were last with us, we saw from John 20:22 a kind of filling of the Spirit when the Lord Jesus breathed into the disciples. Then in Acts 2, there's another filling. We've heard, Ron, that one of these fillings was an inward or essential filling that has to do with life, and the other filling is an outward economical filling for work and ministry to accomplish God's move. This is not an easy point to grasp, but I think it's one that's necessary, crucial even, if we're going to fully understand not just the book of Acts, but also how God moves in his economy. So would you just review this matter for us again? Our fellowship on this point needs to be governed by a couple of crucial things. Both are very obvious, but they need to be emphasized. One is that the Spirit is one. According to Ephesians 4, there is one Spirit. And the other crucial thing is we need to pay attention to the entire teaching of the New Testament concerning the giving and receiving of the Spirit. It is a fact that in John 20, the resurrected Christ, the pneumatic Christ, breathed into his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This giving and receiving of the Spirit, in keeping with the context of the entire Gospel of John, is the receiving of the Spirit for life, that we may be born of God to have the life and nature of God. The experience of this aspect of the Spirit, the Spirit as life, may be illustrated by breathing and also by drinking. 
Yet other portions of the scripture speak of another aspect of the giving and receiving of the Spirit. Say in Luke 24, we're told that we are clothed with power from on high. We're clothed with the Spirit. The Spirit is a garment. It's a uniform. So there is one Spirit, but certain portions of the New Testament emphasize the fact that we experience this one Spirit in the way of life, which is essential and basic for our entire Christian life, for us to be a Christian for us to be born of God, for us to have the life of God, for us to grow in the divine life, we need to experience the Spirit as the Spirit of life. But the book of Acts reveals that we have a a responsibility to fulfill, to preach the gospel. We are engaged in spiritual struggle and warfare. So in addition to life, we need power. We need authority. We need to be clothed with the Spirit as a mantle or a uniform. The entire teaching of the New Testament shows us that the one unique divine Spirit is experienced by us in more than one way. Essentially, as our breath, as the living water, we receive him as the Spirit of life. Economically, to carry out God's move, we need to be empowered We need to be clothed. We need to be covered with the one spirit, not as life, but as power. If we are all willing to assess our experience and our interpretation of our experience in light of these two great truths, namely that there is one spirit and that we need to take in the entire teaching of the scriptures concerning the one spirit, we will be kept from extremes and our understanding will be fair and balanced, and we will have the flexibility to receive and fellowship believers that may emphasize one aspect of the Spirit more than another, but still we are all faithful to the truth concerning the Spirit and the testimony of the Spirit in the New Testament. Ron, I appreciate your word there very much. You've captured the burden that I had to express, and that is that in this program today, we're going to be talking about a matter that is quite delicate among God's people. The practice of speaking in tongues seems to have its promoters and its opposers. And our burden, our desire before the Lord in this life study is not to be either an opposer or a promoter, but simply to look to the Lord for his light and his leading as we examine this matter of speaking in tongues in light of the pure revelation Of the New Testament. Why don't we begin today by reading Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, even as the Spirit gave to them to speak forth. That's from the recovery version of the Bible. Ron, there are a lot of different translations, and the differences may seem to be subtle, but they can have quite a major impact. Do you have any additional comment on this translation or this verse? A brief one, which has to do with the proper emphasis. We should not read Acts, and we should not read the Bible, motivated by finding a basis to support a preconception. We should not read Acts to be equipped to oppose tongue-speaking or to be equipped to promote tongue-speaking. We simply want to know the truth. We want to be balanced 
and we want to be genuinely general in our receiving of the saints with different understandings. What I would set before the listener is this, that the emphasis in Acts 2.4 is not on that all, everyone, spoke with tongues. That is open to question. The emphasis surely is that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not the manifestation of tongues that should be emphasized. Rather, what should be emphasized is the fact that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Some may read this text to say, well, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they all spoke in tongues. You could construe it that way. I feel it's recommended to say, rather, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. It's rather open whether they all began to speak because all is not repeated. It's only used once. So the question is, does all cover filled and speak, or does it only cover filled? You'll see as the message unfolds that our understanding is that actually it refers specifically to filled. So it's not wise to insist on the basis of this verse that every one of them spoke with a dialect, and now every one of us has to speak with this kind of supernaturally given dialect. Let's put our emphasis where it seems to be in the text And what's really needed in our experience is that we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is for sure. Let us leave to the sovereign God what kind of manifestations there should be as evidence, if some are needed, for this marvelous filling. Ron, I trust before the Lord that we have struck the proper tone to approach this difficult matter. Let's join Witness Lee with his fellowship. In verse 4, let's open to verse 4. In chapter 2. We read these carefully, and they were all filled. Here is a modifier, all. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues. Now, the argument is here is on the word all. Now, let me tell you, grammatically speaking, do you believe the word all modifies both were filled and began to speak? You see, in this sentence, there are two predicates. The first one is were filled. The second one is began to speak in terms. We must have a discernment to say, whether this modifier all modifies both of the two predicates or it only modifies the first predicate. This is crucial. If it does modify both of the predicates, then no doubt all those are spoken tongues. But if you read carefully and if you do know the grammar, you can see all here doesn't modify the second predicate. It only modifies the first predicate where failed. They were all failed with the Holy Spirit and began 
fifty in ten. If Luke meant that all spoke in tongues, he should have added all again. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all began to speak in tongues. It is hard, grammatically speaking, to say that all here modifies the two predicates. Just like I'm telling you, all the saints came into the meeting and began to pray. Do you believe I mean that all prayed? All the saints came to the meeting. That means, no doubt, everybody came to the meeting and began to pray. Do I mean that everybody prayed? Could you see my point? The term promoter today, they insist that all modifies the second predicate also. So they take this verse as a strong base to prove that on the Pentecost, firstly, the 120, everybody spoke in tongues. In my study, I spend much time on this verse concerning this modifier all. I have the boldness to say all doesn't modify the second predicate. It only tells that all those 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody was filled. But it doesn't mean all of them, everybody spoke in faith. Ron, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul revealed that he spoke in tongues, but he surely didn't promote the practice. Neither did he forbid. This seems to be the message that we're getting from this life study message from Acts. Being mindful of the divisive potential of this issue among many of God's people, how can Christians overcome the division associated with this issue? The emphasis in Acts 2.4, as indicated by the grammar, is that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, not that they all spoke in tongues. This is not a small thing. You referred us to 1 Corinthians In 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul is speaking about the body, a great burden in his heart, Paul talks about we all drink the same Spirit. When it comes to the experience of the Spirit, he doesn't say we all speak in tongues, we all do this or that, but we all experience the filling of the Spirit, we all experience being baptized into the one Spirit, that we may be the one body. Both the promoters... And they can be very aggressive. And also the um, critics, and they can be equally aggressive, miss the mark of what is central in the New Testament teaching concerning the spirit and the body. God's goal in his economy is the corporate expression of Christ. The millions of believers need to be one in the oneness of the spirit and be filled with the spirit so that they may be in reality and practicality the organic body of Christ. The oneness of this spirit and the oneness of the body should always be in view. It was in Paul's view and understanding. That is why he was genuinely balanced. He could say on the one hand, he spoke in tongues. He could say, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. Yet it's clear he did not promote it, especially in the church meetings. So, in addition to being clear concerning the truth, 
We need to touch the spirit that is in the apostles when they wrote on this matter. Their spirit is deeply burdened for God's economy, for God's purpose, for the church, for the building up of the church, in Paul's writings, for the body of Christ. If we will seek to understand the New Testament record concerning tongue-speaking in light of the New Testament revelation concerning the body of Christ, I believe we will avoid divisiveness. We will not insist and we will not oppose, but always emphasizing what God himself emphasizes through the apostles, that is the oneness of the Spirit, the oneness of the body of Christ, for the corporate expression of the triune God in Christ. Ron, let's go back to more of Witness Lee's fellowship today. Tongue here in Greek is dialect. We all know dialect is an anglicized word, which was dialectus in Greek. And dialect or dialectus denote a certain human language, a proper language. So, speaking different tongues, and tongues here should mean a dialect, an understandable human language. The disciples were Galileans, verse 7, yet they spoke the different foreign dialects of the attendants who came from various parts of the world. This is strong proof that tongue speaking must be an understandable language, not merely voice or sound uttered by the tongue. Because today's tongue speaking promoters, they insist to say, to speak in tongues doesn't need to speak an understandable human language. To speak in tongues is just to utter a kind of sound out of your tongue. Surely they have to say this way, because they spoke a lot of tongues which were not dead. Just nonsensical ga 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 da da da. When the Mexicans to speak this kind da 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 da. All Mexican accents in the Mexican language way. When the Chinese spoke their tongues, all spoke in Chinese accent. Do you believe if anything miraculous is done by the spirit, that still bears the Chinese accent? <laughs> Do you believe those hundred twenty Galileans spoke in tongues on the Pentecost? They all spoke something bearing Galilean accent. Is that what the case? That was not done by the miraculous spirit. That must be something done by the Galilean. Many do know that today speaking tongues, when the Chinese spoke, they spoke with the Chinese tones. Because the Chinese language has tones. Then, when the Mexicans spoke the so-called tongue, they spoke like Spanish. Don't forget, they began to speak in different tongues. Verse 6, and when this sound 
occurred, the multitude came together and was confounded because each one heard them speaking in their own dialect. And this verse denotes clearly what is spoken in verse 4 as tongues are what? Dialects. You read it. Then you go on to verse 8. And how is it that we each hear them in our own dialect in which we were born? So verses 6 and 8 prove strongly that the tongues spoken in verse 4 are dialects. Then we go to uh, verse 11. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them speaking in our tongues. You see, tongues and dialects are synonyms interchangeably used in this section of the Holy Word. This evidence affords no ground to say that tongue speaking may be merely a voice or sound uttered by the tongue, the speaking organ. It must be dialect because what the disciples spoke in tongues, verses 4 and 11, were all different dialects in verses 6 and 8. In this sense, tongues and dialects are synonyms interchangeable used in these verses. Ron, a second major point regarding the manifestation of tongues on the day of Pentecost has now been put before us. The Greek word glossa is used both for the English word tongue and the word dialect in chapter 2 of Acts. Are these two synonymous in this context of Acts and also in the entire New Testament? And if so, what's the implication of this? The record in Acts, especially by this dual use of the word glossa, indicates that the speaking in tongues experienced and heard on the day of Pentecost was the speaking of actual languages, of dialects. It was not the speaking of incomprehensible sounds that is incomprehensible to everybody because it's not a human language. The reason it's crucial for us to be faithful to the scriptures here is that Many who feel they've had some experience of the Spirit with speaking in tongues, they have to admit that what they speak is not a human language. Some say it's an angelic language. Uh, I've heard some that use the expression, well, it's, it's our personal prayer language. At this point, we're not here to evaluate the personal experiences of others. We leave that between the dear brothers and sisters and the Lord. But we have to be faithful to the record in the New Testament that on the day of Pentecost, the paradigm case of speaking in tongues, the tongues that were spoken were dialects. They were languages. That's why the people who overheard them could hear the believers speaking in their own languages. So this needs to be the emphasis. We are not being faithful to the Word of God if we ascribe to the Spirit 
any kind of speech, even if it's just a few syllables, when the New Testament indicates that the genuine speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost was the miraculous speaking of a language. Read Acts 2 again and reckon with the fact we have a miracle of people speaking a language they never studied, they didn't know, and others hearing a coherent message in that language. And because the word glossa is used in this dual way, this really amounts to an ironclad case in arguing the point that the genuine, miraculous speaking in tongues in the New Testament is the speaking of a dialect. What others experience vocalizing a tongue, it may be honestly something that's just manufactured, humanly speaking. Dear brothers and sisters, we must allow the word of truth and the spirit of truth to discern all claims of spiritual experience. What we are presenting in this particular line of fellowship actually is not a hardline teaching for speaking in tongues or contrary to speaking in tongues. What we are pleading for is the following, that we would be faithful to the Scriptures, that we would not overemphasize what the Scriptures do not emphasize, that we would not lose our focus on God's economy, that we would not forbid what the Scriptures do not forbid. We believe that the message is clear and that the teaching is clear. But what's especially on my heart is that we would touch this matter with a spirit of love, with a building spirit, with a fair mind and a clear understanding. This is what we're doing in this particular program, presenting after many years of study and experience this understanding of the gift of tongues as a manifestation of the economical filling of the Spirit. There is such a thing in the New Testament. Paul says, do not forbid it. Also, Paul indicates we should not promote it. Why? Because we are not here for rather peculiar miracles. We're here for the building up of the body of Christ as the corporate expression of Christ to satisfy the heart's desire of God. Ron, thank you for your fellowship today. I know that you're leaving again soon, but we'll hold a spot. It's yours when you return. Thank you. I look forward to more fellowship with you all. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. We have these recorded studies on every book of the Bible, available to you online free of charge. Just visit our website, lsmradio.com. You can download the MP3 files, stream them live, or add them to your podcast subscriptions, all at no charge. Once more, the website, lsmradio.com. To contact us, send email to radio at lsm.org or call us at one triple eight life study. That's eight 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 five four three three seven eight eight. 
Thanks for listening today.